Well, Patty, uh, honestly, I really, and I'm not just saying this, this is one of the best episodes we've ever done in terms of it's oh, yeah. most, one of the most important ones that we've ever done. I really I agree. That. I agree. I, I thought it was so insightful. I mean, if you, if you, if you haven't stopped, you know, if you're driving your car, you might even want to stop for a few minutes and listen to what VJ has to say, because yeah. it's the future of your business. If you're an ISORN agent yeah. um, and you're trying to future proof, proof your business, this is the episode that you really need to listen to. I, could, I couldn't have said it better. And then in addition to that, you know, so, so it's kind of like on the positive side, we talked to, to VJ who owns NMI and Iris CRM and talking about how they're coming together to try to help ISOs and agents be competitive with, you know, Square mm-hmm. and Toast and these others. Then we go to the biggest threat for our industry. Right. Which is which you talk about. Explain that a little bit of what you talked about. today. Well, Senator Durbin is at it again. And, you know, if you thought that uh, debit interchange regulation was a nightmare, this is even worse. Yeah, uh, that's all I can say. But James and I talk about it and uh, you should definitely wait to the, you know, stay tuned for that segment of the podcast. Love it. Well, let's jump right into our interview with VJ and uh, talk about these important topics. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. James Shepard here and Patty with me. And we're going to interview our good friend, VJ, who's the CEO of NMI and also, of course, the sponsor of our podcast. So VJ, welcome. And uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor. So we're, we're very excited to talk about this topic of why should a merchant choose you, meaning the ISO, the agent, versus the, the Payfax, the stripes and squares of the world that don't have this kind of direct agent model. And of course, you know, VJ, this is a subject I know you're very passionate about. This is something that you guys, you know, NMI is kind of on the forefront of that. Um, and so I would just kind of really be curious to hear your thoughts initially on this. You know, where are we at in this saga of the payments industry is we kind of have this ISO agent world and then we have this payfac you know, world as well. So how do you see this, this kind of current, uh, you know, world playing out in your mind? Sure. So um, once again, thanks for having us on. Uh, we are at a time of tremendous change in the payments industry. And maybe I can answer your question by first giving some historical context. Yeah. So, you know, if we go back in the day, uh, you know, a merchant had to uh, get their own processing services. And the ISO model obviously was grown out of, we joke sometimes at NMI, it was two guys and a dog in a briefcase and maybe some Verifone terminals. <laughs> and right. they would knock on the door of, of right. a merchant. And of course, then we had e-commerce. And then we had the advent of these all-in-one players. I think you you referred to a couple of them, Stripe or Toast or Square, um, that made it really easy. And so what's happened is, you know, it doesn't cut it just to say, do you need merchant processing services? You have to show up with a solution. And I think in our industry, and we are an enabler, so clearly we are selling tools or picks and shovels. We do not uh, monetize payments. We don't take on risk. We are here to be a white label behind the scenes provider to ISOs, ISVs, and uh, we also service some of the bank channels as well. So um, let's just get to the crux of it. This is all about economics, right? Mm-hmm. There is a thing called the swipe fee, and the swipe fee is there in order to uh, fund the entire industry that makes payments ubiquitous, easy to use, reliable, secure, um, and keep you away from uh, fraudsters selling you goods that are that are unauthorized. So that swipe fee is going to be distributed to those who add value. And adding value is no longer enough to just say, do you need a merchant account? You have to package that merchant account with other solutions that are solving business problems for merchants. Right, right, right. Well, you know, you you brought up Toast and um, Square and the likes of those, you know, these uh, 
what I like to call uh, interlopers. <laughs> but, um, you know, what what of these like competitors, these competitors to the traditional ISO agent um, market or, you know, industry, um, what's allowed them to, to grow and grab the market share they have? You know, what's the competitive advantage that they, that they bring? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question, and, and I think you can solve it uh, with 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 one term, which is UIUX, user interface, user experience, simplicity, mm-hmm. easy to turn it on, fully integrated. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think Mark Andreessen, um, one of the famous venture capitalists, sure. he coined a phrase about 10, 15 years ago, and he said, "Software is eating the world." And truly enough, uh, you know, those folks that you named uh, are eating the world, coming up with a full software stack. Right. However, there is a price to pay for something that's easy to use. Um, you are now paying a premium for those services because those companies need to make money. Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting in the ISO uh, agent side of the house, what's your takeaway? There are two takeaways. One is there is money to be made because those guys are making it and they're, they're, they're sort of stealing my old lunch. Right. And the second one is you have to have a better user experience, user interface. Mm-hmm. And the two that you named are really only in the hospitality world. They don't go beyond that. Let's look at the entire economy, every MCC code that the ISOs that mm-hmm. you know watch your podcast or that are in our industry, they service everything from nonprofit, you know, all the way to hospitality, to medical, dental, and we could name probably 15 sub-industries. Right. So I think that what they need to learn from the so-called interlopers, I love that term, Pat. Um, is to show up with a value-added solution. And so just selling payment processing is not enough. How can you combine it with other components that solve problems for your partners mm-hmm. or your end merchants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let's do this, you know, BJ, let's dive into the weeds a little bit. So let's talk about maybe a specific example because I think it's, it helps our industry to kind of see this. So um, I was thinking about, you know, card not present and specifically like home services. Um I've had a lot of experiences personally over the last couple of years. We just bought a house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yes. I bring this up often on the podcast of just by extreme frustration in, in dealing with these uh, various home service providers and the fact that they either don't take cards or they take it in the most inconvenient way or non-compliant way possible. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like write your card number down on this piece of paper for me. And, you know, so, and when you think about them and we, we kind of know what they, what they need, um, are, are they getting to a point where they want what they need? And what do these ISOs and agents need to be doing to go after a market like that, that maybe many of them haven't really gone after in a big way, you know? Yeah, let's dive into that one. And, and that's an area where we actually play a pretty big role yes. um, as an enabler is in field service. And, and let's just, you know, go back and make it even more concrete on your example. And I'll, I'll make it very personal. So I live in, you know, San Francisco and uh, I'm an avid cyclist. Uh, during COVID, we had a lot of break-ins, and, and it turned out that thieves had realized that cycles were very fungible goods. You could steal them and sell them really mm-hmm, fast. Mm-hmm. And because of supply chain, you couldn't buy uh, bikes. Some of these bikes are, you know, a few, few thousand dollars. So right. somebody broke into my garage, as in some of my neighbors, um, and uh, they they didn't actually end up stealing anything. Uh, they, they ran away because of the alarm. But I had to get a new garage door. So uh, that was who I call was a garage door installer company. And they explained to me that there's an IoT version now that connects to my app and my phone. And their most important thing is there's a bolt that locks the door. So when the thieves put the code, they drill the hole, they put the coat hanger and they grab that emergency, you know, that little piece of string, that Uh rope. 
uh-huh. the bolt stops them. So, you know, of course I bought a new garage door right. and this guy uh, says to me, um, you know, all right, you know, how, how do you want to pay? Do you want to write down the credit card on a piece of paper? Um, you know, do, do, should I, he can invoice me later. I mean, it was just a nightmare. And I, and, and I realized that one of our clients um, has actually completely automated this process by having a full omni-channel experience. So here's what our partner has done. And I actually pointed this garage door installer to our partner. And he's now a customer of that ISO, I call it a next-gen ISO that has aggregated all of those services for a point booking, the Yelp reviews, you know, all of the full service as well as payment. And so here's the critical thing, because you asked about card present. You need to be able to offer to someone like me card present, so pull out a little, you know, maybe a, a little reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, in future, it'll just be the iPhone or the Android phone. Tap right. to pay instantly. Give me a URL link that you can send me via WhatsApp or iMessage or what have you. Or shoot me an email right now instantly. Right. Um, and all of those things are modalities, modalities of payment. So you need to be able to take the payment online, in-app, with a card reader, with two phones tapping to each other or any other such form, including QR codes. And we provide all of those solutions. So I would say that that's a great uh, fertile ground for you know ISOs and, and ISV customers of ours to go after. And we have a bunch of those. And some of them are doing billions of dollars of payment volume through our rails. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to connect to any acquirers uh, or issuers or, uh, or processors because we already pre-programmed with those. Right. So I, I love this. And let, let's let's do one more rabbit trail. And then I have a kind of a broader question. Let's talk about retail for a second. So this is much more kind of hitting home with our audience is like, okay, we're going to walk into retail businesses. Um, the direction obviously has been kind of point of sale and smart terminals and things of that nature. But, um, you know, frankly, a lot of these agents I talk to, they're telling me, James, I walk out of 60% of the ones I walk into because they have an integrated solution point of sale, you know, Oh, is this the direction, you know, any advice you have for the ISOs and agents to kind of like, how do we, how do we get our hooks in there and continue to, to grow in the retail space? Yeah. So I think that again, the, the ISO of old has now morphed into um, or evolved into the next gen ISO. And what is a next gen ISO? Everyone has a definition. We have a bunch of white papers, by the way, on our website on my.com about become a next gen ISO. And a next gen ISO is really somebody that is looking more like a software company. They are integrating different components of software. They usually have some software engineers um, on on staff. And so you better get very tech savvy is my message to you. Um, And so for those retailers, pick out a segment which is not dominated. Hospitality is so much the, 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 the proverbial coffee shop. Maybe that's not such a good fishing ground, but go to a specialty retailer and integrate with the point of sale of the inventory system of that retailer. Integrate with the marketing um, uh, automation platforms. And so you're going to have to start to stitch together different components to come up with a solution and payment processing is in there. And I'd love to add just one more thing. We've seen some of our clients who are next-gen ISOs that have gone after specific verticals and segments doing this, stitching together different pieces of software, easier to do today than it was five years ago and 10 years ago, because you can use APIs. And they are no longer charging for payment processing. They're doing interchange pass-through. And they make it up on a monthly subscription Mm -hmm. of the software stack they are selling. So they're almost in between your kind of square toe stripe all-in-one shop. And they're certainly not just selling merchant processing. And those next-gen ISOs are super successful. A couple of them have just gotten multi-billion dollar valuations. And uh, I'm not allowed to name them because we're a white label provider, but we are powering their payment stack. Yeah, I, I love that. So so, so let's, this is such a good segue. Let's zoom out a little bit because I, I have two really important questions and, and topics here that I, I want to get your, your feedback on. 
So the first one is, you know, the ISOs and agents that want to become this next gen ISO, you know, but they don't have developers. They don't view themselves as a software company yet. So they may want to go out and talk to these uh, point of sale providers, these software uh, ISVs and say, hey, we want to partner with you. We want to do the payments. You do the software. So obviously in order to do that, you know, I think NMI plays this super important role because not only are you going to them and saying, well, we use NMI and you could integrate with their API so that we could sell for you. But also it's kind of like by integrating with NMI, you're kind of opening yourself up to this world of, you know, ISO agent that, that integrates. So talk about that kind of approach to the market. Is that something where you're, you're seeing success where ISOs and agents are leveraging NMI in that way to kind of create these partnerships with software companies where they do the processing and they tie this together with NMI. Talk about that approach. Yeah, that is the fastest growing segment that we see. And so what happens is, um, let's fast. Uh, let's go backwards, backward, forward, uh, five or six, seven, eight years ago. Software company uh, wants to monetize payments. Uh, you know, the proverbial example is the the yoga studio software company. I just say that because my my wife is a, a yoga teacher, and, and um, all her payments come through her platform. Um, and they would they could go to someone like a Stripe and pay their two point nine percent and thirty cents, and it's great. And then you start to get bigger, and you're doing five million, ten million, maybe a hundred million dollars of payment volume, and you're scratching your head going maybe I should actually be making some money off of this payment flow. And so what we saw is a bunch of ISOs servicing that unmet need in the market where you have the software vendor that says, how do I turn payments from a cost center to a profit center? And to turn it from a cost center to a profit center, it's complicated. We've had software companies knock on our door and they say, hey, what's this interchange thing? I want some of that. And we need to sit them down. And I'm a former you know, Visa guy. <laughs> well, interchange is not yours. Nobody can have it. Right, right. Um, but we're not in a position to do the education. But the next-gen super ISO aggregator is. And they can sit down the, I, the ISV and go, you can't have interchange, but there are other pieces of the swipe fee you can take. How much risk do you want to take? Do you want to um, be able to uh, deal with chargebacks? Or do you want us to deal with chargebacks? And those expert ISOs that are now targeting ISVs with the sales pitch of, you can go with Stripe, but you got two problems. One is they are a cost center. And two is, I will joke, they are the Hotel California of payments. You can check in, but you <laughs> cannot check, check out. out. <laughs> if you integrate to yeah. our API, which is being resold as the ISO's tech stack, <laughs> nobody needs to know it's NMI. Our name doesn't appear anywhere. Right. You're connected to 160 processors. You can tell the, uh, the ISV, you can sell some of your, you, you put some of your processing through first data, some through global payments. Um, you know, some through WorldPay. And now you can start to have leverage and negotiation of how many basis points are you going to make? And I started this podcast off saying, at the end of the day, it's all about economics. Right. And so we are giving people an ability to take a cost center, turn it into profit center and facilitate the sharing of economics. That is taking off like a rocket ship. Yeah. So my my next question, and this is maybe a little bit of left field, but I'm just, I'm just really curious to get your thoughts on this. So even just since uh, we had talked last I've just had so many experiences dealing with these software companies that are doing the payments themselves who genuinely want to become an ISO. It's, it's this really interesting, like kind of reverse process. Like we think of the ISO needs to become the next gen ISO. Like the ISO needs to become the tech company. More and more, I'm seeing that the tech company is saying, well, if the ISOs aren't going to provide great tech for the agents to sell, we'll become the ISO. And so I guess my question to you is, as you see the market playing out, and I know you have all these different kind of, you know, you have so many different kinds of organizations you work with. You know, you work with the ISVs, you work with the ISOs, you work with the next gen ISO. So 
How is this, how do you see this playing out? Is, is the market going to shift to more towards verticalization of the software company has everything. And so they're integrating the payments and the software and they do everything and they have the agent channel. Or are you seeing a lot of uh, maybe and or are you seeing a lot of the ISOs that want to stick to payments, but they're developing these really strong relationships with tech companies. So they have the agent distribution and they're using the software company. Like, how do you see this playing out over the next three to five years? I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, you've really articulated it well. We actually have a convergence, almost like a collision course yes. in the ISVs, you know, saying, well, if I want to, you know, again, go back to take it from a cost center to profit center. If it means that I have to become an ISO, okay, I'll become an ISO. It depends how much right. pressure they have for trying to monetize the payment flow. And the and we're telling the ISOs, hey, become a next-gen ISO, which is really more of a tech-savvy right. um, oriented a merchant processing stack that, that goes after ISVs. Um, what I am seeing is it's lopsided. It's not even. Because at the end of the day, all of the software companies, they are really good at servicing their software segment. So the field service guys that I talked about, they know all about garage door installers and plumbers and electricians. And they kind of never, they don't, you ask them about AML and KYC and anti-money laundering terrorist, you know, lists and OFAC checks and their head starts to explode because they're trying to figure out, you know, where's the next bicycle theft city for garage door installers to go after. And so the balance is tipped. Most software companies, eight out of 10 that we talk to say, Ooh, that's too complicated. I'm really good at laundromats or I have become the expert in fly fishing stores. Can you refer me to somebody that can help me monetize payments? But that complexity, it's too big and it's out of my wheelhouse and it's not part of my DNA. So I think this is a great opportunity for the ISOs who become next gen because you have the advantage. The software companies don't want to become payments experts, period. Help them monetize, share some of the economics, and you'll be in a great position. Yeah, I love that's, that. really, that's, that's really cool. That's very interesting data. And, and again, I think what's interesting about it too is not only are we talking about the complexity of integrating the payment processing into the software and, and all of, all that goes into that, but I'm also even talking about the distribution, mm -hmm. right? And so the good news there would be if software companies really do kind of want to generally play in their sandbox and we're, they're saying, okay, the ISOs, you have all these independent agents that are out there. We don't want to mess with that. You know, those are big opportunities for the ISOs to continue to develop those partnerships to bring not only payments, but potentially distribution to the partnership. So that I, I, I love where you're going with that, uh, James, because the ISOs are by their nature sales organizations. Right. They are experts in selling stuff. Right. And so if they do hook up with a, a field service software company, for example, uh, that may be uh, going to make it up Seattle based, Pacific Northwest based, they may say, hey, we have distribution in Nashville or we have distribution in you know, the Chicagoland area, they can actually help them get to those places. Mm -hmm. right. And we are already seeing that happen. And I just want to throw one other thing. Terminology is really messing us up here. We have terms that came out of the credit card industry from yes. 30 to 40 to 50 years ago. Right. And we don't live in a black and white world anymore. Right. So CPCNP, right. what the heck does card what present that, even yeah. mean? Right. I mean, I'm right. sitting, you know, at the time you don't even using have a card. My, right. It's customer <laughs> present. And and that thing of like yes. you know CPCNP and you know uh, yes. uh, what is it um, you know uh, uh, Modo mail order telephone <laughs> order and like FTD who uses Cat that <laughs> I mean but essentially we still have those terms because they're part of the Visa sure. Mastercard rule books and right. the same goes for ISO non ISO wholesale ISO right. these terms are really yes. uh, trying to simplify something that's not out there what what I like about what you said on distribution is let's focus on economics and the ability to distribute. There is a ton of opportunity here for the ISO yeah. market. Yeah, right, I, I, right. I really think one of the biggest challenges is going to be, can the ISOs pivot 
to where their distribution is verticalized? Like, can, can they actually get good at working with this huge sales team to say, let's focus on selling garage door companies. Let's focus on selling this vertical because that's going to be necessary, I think, as well. So we could go on talking about that for another hour, but let's let's move. So can uh, I, um, ahead, I, no, I wanted to just bring up a, something that's a little bit off topic, but I know we've discussed this um, in the past, James, about the acquisition of Iris. Um, yes. You know, and, and, you know, as we discussed, this was our, we, James and I saw this as a perfect move, obviously, for you all. Um, but I'm curious about your vision in terms of how you see the modern ISO um, scaling up in this new world of payments um, by leveraging IRIS and NMI. Yeah, thanks for asking that. We are so excited um, of having brought IRIS and NMI together. So for those who don't uh, maybe know IRIS too much, uh, Iris is a, uh, a CRM software, customer relationship management software that allows you to manage all of your merchants from the full life cycle of prospecting a merchant when you were looking to land them all the way through to when you onboarded them with a processor mm-hmm. and then right through to residuals and commissions and chargebacks and reporting. So we call it a CRM, but it's really a, 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 an ERP for an right. ISO. Right. And uh, the the founder uh, uh, story is Dimitri Akron, the founder, who is the president of ISO, uh, president of Iris, was an ISO at the age of 16. He was an agent and he couldn't find software that could help him manage his business. Then he started his own ISO and then he developed the, the, the Iris system. So he really knows what the pain points are. And so in and of itself, Iris was already integrated to NMI and to Authorize Net and other gateways because they are agnostic. Right. And the reason why we brought it together um, we are a Switzerland-like company. If you uh, go with the metaphor, we are fully neutral. So is Iris, and we will continue to be neutral. Iris will work with other gateways, and we will continue to work with other CRMs. But the two work better together. And the breakthrough here is that if you prospect a merchant, land them, onboard them, get a mid, type it in, we are going to be releasing very soon the ability to instantly turn on the merchant account in NMI without any work. It happens in seconds so that you can have a straight through processing. And uh, Patty asked me about the vision. The vision is to have an instant onboarding experience as delightful as some of the interlopers you mentioned Mm -hmm. with processor choice and flexibility. So imagine having an instant onboarding experience from merchant prospecting to turning it on for processing, having multiple processors, having multiple mids in a multi-mid hierarchy and you get to choose who you want to send those transactions to. You can change that real time and you can start monetizing payments. That's a kabang, boom kind of concept. It'll mm-hmm. take us a few years to get there, but the first steps are already in market. I, I love cool. it. And you know, it's, it's funny to give our, our audience a little context, you know, right before we start, started the interview, BJ and I were talking about this because I had sent him a note saying, hey, I probably can't bring this up, but I, I really think the best thing NMI and Iris could do together is improve the onboarding experience. Right. right. I, that's kind of why I brought up the question. Yeah. Like, and so, perfect. you know, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, so, so I, I just want to tell, tell a, a funny joke there because, you know, we have this great NMI gateway with this fantastic onboarding experience, white label, the merchant, right. you know, makes it look like it's James Shepard and Patty Murphy Corp. Right. Um, and, and it doesn't work until you type a mid in. And you've got people that are getting VAR sheets and they are sheets. They're pieces of paper that have been printed out and they have numbers on them. And then you go into this one console, it's super modern, and you go to this other console and you type it in. Really? In 2022, you're printing out two pieces of paper and you're typing them into each other. We got to just end that forever. And that's really our vision behind this. Yeah, I I love that. I think it's so crucial. And I think, again, to to break this down for audience a little bit so they understand, I mean, 
you know, these software companies that Patty again coined as the interlopers that, that have come in. I mean, one of the big things about them that is so nice is that the idea of creating a merchant account and then being able to use that card acceptance within the context of the software is that it all happens like you fill out a few web forms and you're good to go instantly or near instant. Um, and versus in our kind of disjointed world, we have, well, I got to sign them up with my ISO who works with NMI. And then I got to get the VAR sheet from the ISO who got it from the acquiring bank. And then I have to key it into NMI and then I got to configure it. And, you know, and so there's a lot of additional steps. And so I think what I hear you saying, uh, VJ, is that with this acquisition of Iris, since Iris is already integrated with most of these acquiring banks and, and large processors, as far as the underwriting department, all of that, and then we have NMI, which is kind of this, you know, ability to process the payments on the front end. You're saying you're going to have kind of this seamless flow and the ISO is going to be able to build this kind of really convenient sign up process. Is that what I hear Very you saying? Cool. Yeah, boy, I I, I got to record uh, that because you've described <laughs> it much better than, than I have. But that, that was exactly the idea. Um, and and our longer term vision at NMI is something we call full commerce enablement. And what we mean by that is we have a tagline internally. We call it. I'll, I'll make it public now. Uh, we call it from sign up to payout. We want to be able to provide you with the entire enablement tech stack so you don't have to worry about this from the time you sign up a merchant, turn them on for processing instantly, all the way through to payout. So MasterCard Send, think Visa Direct, think pay, uh, gig economy payouts, all your ACH. And when we have that full stack, well, now you have a white labeled version of what is now trendily called embedded finance. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. And I think what's interesting is you know, the, the importance of what you're saying right now, I hope that our audience is understanding because I legitimately believe that without a player in the industry that creates what you just described, I think that the ISO agent world is going to really have significant struggle yeah. to compete because again, over time, there is just so much to gain by having this seamless signup process. As somebody that owns a couple of software companies, I can tell you that it, it is a really, really big deal. And so I think our, you know, the ISOs and agents, they really need that relationship with Iris and NMI, if for no other reason, just to have some, you know, some resources and power in their corner to help them compete uh, and and really go that direction. So uh, again, we could have another conversation here for another couple hours. I won't do that. So uh, give us some information for those who want to know more, VJ. where would you send them to learn more about NMI and Iris and give us a little bit of context there of what they should do to learn more about you? Sure. So, um, you know, I'll give the, the the usual standard answer first and I'll give you more detail. Obviously at NMI.com, uh, our website, uh, just three letters, easy to type. Um, we have all kinds of resources, including white papers on becoming a next-gen ISO and really detailing more than what we talked about um, here uh, kind of on an introductory basis. Um, and the other one is, you know, just inform yourself. One of the things that we're really proud of at NMI, we're, we're a small company. We're about 400 people today, but we like to say we punch above our weight class. So we process over $200 billion of payment volume, about 400,000 merchants on the platform. We have about 3,000 partners or they're kind of mixture between ISOs and ISVs, very heavily skewed to the ISO community. Um, and we still want the industry as a whole to grow. We are not about taking market share in a shrinking pie. The pie is growing and getting bigger and bigger. Remember, right. e-commerce is only 14% of the economy. It's tiny. Yeah. So um, come to us, uh, listen to the podcast like you guys have, other resources in the industry, uh, ETA, um, and if anyone wants to reach out to me, you know, personally, that's really easy to do. Uh, my email is just my first name dot last name at NMI.com. Um, and uh, we will be very happy to take your questions, but inform yourself, talk to our competitors, find out what else is out there. Cause we believe if the community does well, we all do well. Yeah. Love it. 
Love it. BJ, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being the sponsor of the podcast. We really appreciate that. And uh, again, thank you so much for the time and the insights that you shared. Always a pleasure. Thank and, you. And I echo James's uh, comments. Thank you very much. Take care. Goodbye. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. Uh, so, Patty, I just wanted to do a quick follow-up today in questions from the field, uh, you know, because I think that the interview that BJ just gave, I, I really, I'm going to really promote that one because it's so important to our industry that we just don't seem to understand, I don't even think, how important this is because the agent or, you know, the merchant onboarding experience mm -hmm. is the number one pain point for agents. It's the number one pain point for the merchants, and it's the number one pain point for the software companies. All right. three of them share the exact same pain point now. Right. And right. it's like, if, if you address that pain point, you basically take all the friction out of the system. You do. And, and again, what, you know, VJ alluded to there is, and, and why I wanted to kind of do a separate segment on this is, you know, no matter what Iris and, and NMI create, ultimately, there's still going to be a little bit of a time friction potentially mm -hmm. because the underwriting department at the acquiring bank or right. the, the, the processor, the FSP, whatever it is, you know, they are going to have to approve the deal. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that this is an area that just has not gotten enough focus. And I'll tell you what's interesting to me. I was thinking about this earlier, Patty. You know, I won't name names because we don't do that. But I'm telling you, when you look at the companies that seem to just dominate agent recruiting and activation and deal flow, mm -hmm. with almost without exception, they have a huge focus on merchant onboarding. Yeah. yeah. And they're able to do instant onboarding for a vast majority of deals, instant approval, I should say, not instant onboarding, but instant approval. Um, and so that that's really, really important. And so I think what I think what needs to happen is, um, our listeners, you know, we need to start putting pressure as a group. If you're an ISO listening to this, you need to reach out to your acquirer and say, hey, I heard what NMI and Iris are doing about this whole, you know, moving towards instant onboarding. Are you working with them yet? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And saying, what are you doing to, how are you going to bring the turnaround time for underwriting down significantly? How right. are you going to streamline the criteria and reduce the amount of, you know, headaches and red tape? that we have to go through mm -hmm. in order to get a merchant account approved. So right. um, it is such a pain point um, again for, you know, these software companies, because again, these software companies, what they want is they want people to just sign up. Right. They already have a sign up form and they just want to add three more forms, you know, in, in a row. And then it's like, now you're signed up for the software and you have the merchant processing and it all works and it's all integrated and you're ready to go. And so you have to be able to bring that to these software companies, yeah. you know, or maybe you don't have to right now, but you will have to in, in, in two or three years right. in order to get these deals done. So I just kind of wanted to take a minute to echo that. I talked a little bit more about this in a previous episode, but I wanted to take a second to echo what BJ said and to, and to say that, you know, this is make or break for our right. industry. We have to get underwriting. We have to do it right. 
It has to be easy for the merchant to sign up. It has to be super easy for the sales agent to make a sale and get what they need. And so I think all of that, there's just, unfortunately, there's just not been nearly enough attention paid to that. And, and as a result, there hasn't been enough pressure put on the main companies in order to kind of bring it yeah. to pass. Yeah, I think that's, a, I think it's a good point. Um, you know, if you're not, if, if you're not benefiting from this, which probably you are not, you need to really put the pressure out there. Yeah. yeah. So that's it for me today, Patty. Short one, but I just wanted to bring that up and make sure people are noticing the importance of this, yeah. putting pressure on their acquiring bank, putting pressure on their processor to improve underwriting and remove some of this friction. And then again, so that we can work with companies like Iris and NMI that are really trying to do some cool processor agnostic stuff, mm -hmm. but that still is not going to be possible, you know, unless there's that cooperation that exists. Right. So I'm really right. looking forward to hearing more about, you know, what they have. So. Good stuff. Thanks, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. James, I have a report about Senator Dick Durbin. We all know really? that Senator Durbin is the Illinois Democrat who authored legislation, gosh, more than a decade ago that ushered in debit card interchange caps. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not one to gloat, but I think I remember a few months ago saying he was going to strike again, and he has. Yes. Um, and he's not going in alone. He has recruited at least one Republican. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas to mm -hmm. co-sponsor what he's calling the Credit Card Competition Act. Yes. Now, you may recall in April, Durbin was among a group of Democrats and Republicans who wrote Visa and MasterCard, urging them to hold off on their planned interchange rate hikes. About a month later, he held a hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee, which he chairs, and he lashed out at the two card companies and labeled them a duopoly which is probably true. Um, and at the time, he offered a wish list of actions he wanted, <coughs> excuse me, to see taken to inject more competition into the market. Well, uh, as the name implies, the Credit Card Competition Act um, addresses some of these, and one in particular, merchant choice. Um, and it would apply to card issuing banks with over $100 billion in assets, um, and it would call upon the Federal Reserve to issue regulations that provide merchants the ability to choose which networks their card payments get routed through. Um, and they must be able to choose from at least two networks, one of which is not operated by Visa or MasterCard. Um, you know, we talked about this in the past about how uh, the, debit uh, the debit routing, remember? Um, yes. And I thought at the time, maybe something like that would come out, but actually it's, this is much more comprehensive. It, yeah. It's for debit and credit cards. Right. You know, not surprisingly, the bill has, you know, wide support from business groups, including, which I thought was notable, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, which actually, you know, put a quote in the press release that Durbin sent out. And of course it's opposed by banks and their lobbyists. Right. But, you know, Durbin and Marshall, what I think is interesting is that, the, and we've talked about this in the past as well, they're positioning this as a debate between um, support for small business or big business. 
you know, and uh, here's what Marshall said. He said, when it comes to Main Street versus Wall Street, I'll choose Main Street every time. Convenience stores, gas stations, and other small businesses in Kansas are being taken advantage of by Visa and MasterCard on behalf of the big banks in New York City at a time when they and their communities they serve are grappling with crippling inflation and staring down the barrel of a looming recession. It's gone on long enough. Competition is the heartbeat of capitalism, and that is what our bill will create, competition. Yeah, and, uh, Durbin and, said something similar, and you know he basically said he's that not only will it, you know will inject competition through what we consider you know in terms of network competition, but he also sees it as opening the door to new market entrants, um, you know, like debit only networks to expand their reach. You know, and I'll be honest, I mean, I've watched the legislative you know um, battles for years. I don't think this is going to pass anytime soon, yeah. um, but I see it as a type of legislation, we, which I think I've mentioned to you in the past. When you have a big piece of legislation, you know, like the coronavirus, you know, the CARES Act, for example, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a, it becomes a Christmas tree. You can adorn it with all these other pieces of yes. legislation right. that you have in your hip pocket. This yeah. is something that's going to end, uh, I think, will be passed that way. Yeah, I honestly feel like if Durbin would have started on it earlier, he probably would have tried to uh, get it through with the uh, inflation, the inflation reduction act because yeah. it would have been a fit for that. Well, um, it was a fit, and I actually was watching out for that to see if yes. that happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. surprisingly. Well, so I'll, I'll share my two cents um, on it. I, of I, you course. know, <laughs> for, first of all, I think it's uh, horrible for our industry. Sure, um, it's terrifying, and I'll tell you why because it's not big business versus small business at all. In fact, big businesses are going to benefit from this massively more than small businesses. Yep. Um, in fact, almost to the exclusion of the small business. So the thing our listeners have to understand is when Patty is saying the merchant can choose between these various networks. Well, in the eyes of Visa, MasterCard, and legislation, when you say the merchant, we're actually talking about the acquiring bank. Right. So we're actually talking about, you know, TSIS can choose where they want to route the, the transaction. So the problem with all this is, Ultimately, this is a very slippery slope. And so this initial legislation, while it may not be that big of a deal to our industry, meaning, okay, interchange is going to be lower. Well, that'll be nice. Well, yeah, but no. the problem is the whole purpose of this is to lower the cost for the small business. And when the regulators and legislators realized that actually all they did was give Walmart and Amazon an enormous cost break. Mm -hmm. And instead, small business owners are still paying the same because they're not on interchange plus pricing anymore. They're flat rate. Do you think mm -hmm. Square is going to instantly reduce their pricing because interchange goes down? Nope. No, they're going to have the most profitable four quarters of their existence. Yeah. And then they're going to lower prices by 10 basis points. Yeah. So yeah. the reality of the industry is that small businesses are not going to benefit from this. And as usual, the Senate and the House seems to have very little idea of how business actually is working in a particular vertical. And so I think this is a horrible thing for, it's not going to help small business owners. And I think it's a horrible thing for our industry because the slippery slope is going to be, well, now we need to regulate credit card processors and we need to put a, mm -hmm. put a cap and say, well, you can't mark up X amount. And so all yeah. of a sudden now yeah. we're, we're moving very rapidly towards this regulation. So I am not in favor of it. I think it's a horrible idea um, right now. And I, I have said for a long time that there were things that I, I think that should be done. This is going to be a nightmare in implementation, just like the, the pandemic network thing was. It has not worked out well. It's not worked out well at all. 
It, it's yeah. kind of like saying we're, you know, we're demanding that competitors come forth and compete with Visa and MasterCard, even though they're massively larger and have, hum- it's like, what are, what are we saying exactly? The federal government's trying to mandate the creation of competitors. It, 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 they're not saying they're going to split them up like they did with say, you know, the baby bells or something. They're not, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense. And so um, I am not in favor at all. I think it's horrible for now. I think it's much more, it's much worse for later. And again, I'm, I agree with you that I don't think it has much of a chance of passing, but I think that we're seeing so much innovation right now around this idea of interchange and these neo banks that are starting and banking as a service and just all these innovative, creative things that are happening around this kind of what we thought was this very solid foundational infrastructure of interchange. Yeah. And now the Senate's about to say, well, we might pull the rug out from under you at some point on that. Right. So now all these companies right. that are going to build their whole business model around the interchange revenue are, are now saying, well, wait a minute, right. can we do wait that? Wait a minute. Yeah. But I think in another way too, James, you know, this is an opportunity for groups like the ETA to really yeah. prove their worth. Yes, you know, I agree. This is the time that Congress really needs to be educated about this business. I agree. I mean, we all know we can't even expen- ex- explain our business to our family half the time, right? Right, right. I think that, you know, if the ETA wants to earn its money, that's what it should be doing is up there educating lawmakers about how the system works and why legislation like this would not work. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and again, I think too, to clarify, and, and I'm on record many, many times in this podcast as having said that I believe Visa and MasterCard have anti-competitive practices, mm-hmm. that interchange is too high relative to other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not in any way saying nothing should be done. I'm right. just saying this, this is not the thing to do. This is not the thing to do. This is going to be a right. nightmare. 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 I mean, if you thought that Dur- you know, the Durban Amendment was a nightmare, this is like the one that you're going to wake up screaming from. Yeah, this, um, this is, this is, yeah. you know, or, or it's the one you don't wake up from. I'm not sure. That's a possibility too, right? In our industry, yeah. you know, so right. anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I, yeah, th- I really appreciate you bringing it up and sharing, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about it in the months oh, to come. And, I'm sure we you know, will. So yeah. yeah, thank you, Patty. Great stuff. Sure. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.